Acts chapter 2, and this morning I want us to consider what it means to be a radically simple church. We've been working through our study on the doctrine of the church and, and what God's blueprint is for the church, and we have talked about the, the three things moving forward that I, I'd like for us as a church to consider uh, in, the, in the coming days and last week. Uh, we talked about that first uh, priority, uh, and this week we want to talk about the second one of being a radically simple church. If last week we talked about the importance of, of a church built on and under the Word of God, if you remember that, and that really connects to what we want to say this morning, and really there's nothing... Uh, earth-shattering or groundbreaking about the, the main idea this morning. It's simply this. If we are committed to being built on and under the Word, uh, then we will seek to follow the blueprint that the Scripture gives us for how the church ought to do what it does. We, we've, we've said this over and over again. It's not just the what, it's the how. And so I want us to consider what it means to be a radically simple church. Uh, but, but what do I mean by radically simple? Uh, what I don't mean is simplicity for simplicity's sake. Uh, there is a, a way that we can idolize simplicity and being simple such that uh, we might compromise on important teachings of Scripture. And that's not what I'm talking about. Simplicity is not the goal. But when I talk about being radically simple, I'm talking about what does it mean for Poplar Spring to be a, a radically biblical church? You're probably saying, well, what do you mean by radically biblical? You haven't told us anything yet. What I, what I mean is that I believe the scriptures give us a relatively simple blueprint to being a church that pleases the Lord. A church that, that God would have us to be. And it's so simple that it's become radical. And so if ever there was a sermon that I would title uh, or, or claim is, is my, my vision for my, my vision sermon, my, my vision Sunday sermon, uh, it would be this one. And I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Uh, it's not going to be extravagant, the vision that is. You guys know the sermon won't be extravagant. You've been here long enough. The, the vision is nothing spectacular. It, in fact, it's rather ordinary. And so I want us to consider what it looks like for Poplar Spring to be a radical, simple, biblical church. A church that, that follows the radically simple blueprint that Scripture gives us. And when we come to the book of Acts, we find that blueprint in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 is all about the coming, uh, Jesus ascending, right? And then they uh, appoint another apostle, and there is uh, Pentecost, right? The Spirit comes. So, so let's just assume that we all agree, like we want to go back to the early church, the, the church days. You know, we, we want the book of Acts to take place in our church. And a lot of times we think the book of Acts is, and, and, and rightfully so, in some sense, it's just all these miraculous things happen. I mean, it's just miracles left and right. And yet... We can't go back much further than Acts chapter 2. There's the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's Pentecost. Peter preaches. He calls people to repentance. And then we have really the first description of what a church would look like. So in other words, we can't go back really any further. And what we find 
is really just kind of ordinary. When we look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, look at what Luke says. Well, in fact, actually, go back to verse 41, because I want you to see this, right? So those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Now, if that happened in a modern church, somebody preached and 3,000 people got saved, you know what would happen? Everybody would say, that's the way to do it now. That's the new way we ought to do church. Obviously, God has blessed that, so, so now we have to reduplicate that. We need to do that every time, right? That, that's the new pattern. But that's not what we read in verse 42, is it? 3,000 people are added, and then we get to verse 42, and look at what those people do. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So even on a cursory reading, just on that reading alone, this doesn't seem overly complicated, does it? So what does it look like for us to be a radically simple church? This morning, I want to give you three characteristics of a radically simple church based on Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want to go ahead and give you a warning we're going to introduce some vocabulary, some terms that might be new to you. And so I want to do my best to, to introduce that vocabulary to you, explain what they mean. Uh, but it, it, it might feel like a lot. And so uh, I, I had a resource that I wanted to print out that would give you more resources. The printer jammed this morning. I barely got my sermon notes printed. And so I just said, you know what, I'll just make an announcement. So if at the end of the sermon you say, I, I get kind of what you're aiming at in, in some of this new vocabulary, but can you send me some resources? I would love to do that. I'd be happy to do that. I just want to make that announcement really quickly. But let, let's pray, and then let's dive into the three characteristics of a simple church. Well, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that uh, you give us everything we need. God, your word is sufficient. Your word guides us. Uh, it, it is perfect. And so, Lord, as we study these characteristics, help us to see that it's not just simplicity for simplicity's sake, but, but God, what it really is is you've ordained and you've given us a blueprint for the church such that we can watch you work in wonderful, miraculous ways. So, Lord, bless this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what's the first characteristic of a radically simple church? Number one, a radically simple church upholds the supremacy of Scripture. Upholds the supremacy of Scripture. That's the first characteristic we see in Acts 2.42, isn't it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to truth. They were committed to the gospel. And so they devoted themselves to learning it, to knowing it, and making sure they practiced it. And so we could state this a number of ways that, that, that we're committed to the authority of Scripture or to the centrality of Scripture, but the point is the same. The Word of God is essential. It's central. It's supreme. It's authoritative. And we want, let, we want to let the Scripture guide 
what we do. And think of it this way. We want Scripture to guide not just the content, but the forms, right? We want, we want Scripture to guide not just what's in the present, but how the present is wrapped. Are you with me? Not just the content, but the forms. And so in, what we're essentially saying is we want to do biblical things. We want to achieve biblical goals, right? But we want to achieve those biblical goals biblically. Okay? We want to say that, that we're committed to letting the Bible dictate the way that we seek to achieve biblical ends. But there's another reason why we need to uphold the supremacy of Scripture in all that we say and do as a church. And here it is. So that the Lord Jesus gets all the credit. There is something fundamental about the blueprint that God gives us for a church that helps us to see that ultimately it's up to Him. And every good and perfect thing that happens is because God does it. If we do things God's way, that we're, like we're going to talk about, then it's the Lord who gets the glory. God has these parameters that He's set that kind of guard against our desire to make a name for ourselves, to make a name for Poplar Spring, to, to uh, essentially take on the task of growing the church ourselves so that we can get the credit. And Paul modeled this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. If you remember, what does Paul say? He says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. If we build God's church on God's word in God's way, then what we will see is the demonstration of God's power. Martin Luther, the, the figurehead of the Protestant Reformation, you know, nailed the 95 theses on the doors. He would look back on the Reformation, and, and, and we're still we're, we're beneficiaries of that, right? Over 500 years later, he, he changed world history. And yet, when he was asked... How he felt about it. You know what he would say? He says this. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the word. Isn't that what we want for our church? That we would let the word do it all? That we would see God's power displayed in our weakness, in our ordinariness, in our simplicity. The Word did it all. If we'll commit to doing church God's way, we will see God work. And we will know. We will see. We will be witnesses of the very fact that God did it all. And if the Word does it all, here's where it gets even better. It means that the Spirit, the Son, and the Father are working together. They get the glory. If we'll commit to doing church God's way, we will see God move. Just as God gets the glory for our salvation, He'll get the glory for our sanctification. And so if we want to uphold the supremacy of Scripture, and that especially means for us as a church, then one of the primary ways that we need to commit 
and follow the scripture is in the area of our worship, our corporate worship. And so a church that is radically simple has a, a commitment to uphold the supremacy of scripture. But there's a second characteristic. A radically simple church is committed to simple biblical worship. Let me say that again. Is committed to simple biblical worship. When we look at Acts 2.42, it seems so simple, right? They, they devoted themselves to truth. They oriented everything around it. They got together. It says that they fellowshiped. And then it says the breaking of bread. And I believe that's a, a reference to the Lord's Supper. So they're taking the Lord's Supper. And they prayed. Right? Now, let's be honest. Are there not circles in an evangelical Christian life that if they went to a church where that's all they did, they would say, that was kind of boring. I mean, all they did was a guy preached, they prayed, they took the Lord's Supper, they sat next to each other, and they sang a couple of songs. Notice in Acts 2.42, there's no focus on buildings, on lights, on songs, on production, and media, uh, programs or anything, they simply got together under the word. They got together with each other around the Lord's table and they got together with the Lord in prayer. It was simple. It was biblical. And I think that's what we ought to strive for as a church. But how do we do that? Well, I think we follow the pattern in Acts 2.42. And in order for us to, to have a nail to hang the concept of, of what we're talking about, kind of organize it and have the categories. Acts 2.42 is one of the, the, the key passages for what, in theological terms, okay, here's the new words, the new phrase, ready? The concept that we're talking about is called the ordinary means of grace. Ordinary means of grace. Means, M-E-A-N-S. And so let's define that because this is very important. What are the ordinary means of grace? What do we mean by that? Well, a means can be thought of as a, a way or an avenue or a pipeline, right? A mean is a, a medium, the route through which something takes to get somewhere. How, it's the channel. How does something get from point A to point B, Right? And so what are those means? There are means that, that God gives. There are mediums which God gives. And what are those? Strictly speaking, there are three. Okay. The first one is the word of God and preaching. Is a means, is an avenue. The second one is the sacraments. And if you break those into two parts, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay, so these are the ordinary means of grace. So these are avenues that, that God works through, but they're called ordinary. Why? Why are they called ordinary? They're ordinary avenues. They're plain avenues. Well, first of all, ordinary means that they are ordained, right? You see the connection between, we, we sometimes call them ordinances, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper ordinary ordinances. You see the connection, right? 
So they're ordained. They're what God has given, what God has prescribed in his word that we ought to do. But then secondly, obviously, that means not extraordinary. Ordinary means that that we don't need to always be looking for the, the extraordinary, you know, rend the heavens and come down pillar of fire experiences when we come because God has given us ordinary means of grace. Now, God can do the extraordinary. God absolutely can do the extraordinary. But remember what we said, that the book of Acts does have an extraordinary quality, but, but what characterizes this new spirit-empowered church in the middle of what we might describe as an incredible revival? Notice, it's not an obsession with the new it's not an obsession with the unusual, the innovative, and the extraordinary. No, they're devoted to the word, the sacraments, baptism in the Lord's Supper, and prayer. There's not chaos. There's clarity. The word of God was mighty in their midst, and the people responded in prayer and praise. There's not smokes and mirrors or gimmicks. There's no central personality cult. A rock star leader, the word does the work. So we have these ordinary, plain means of grace, these, these pipelines which God pours stuff into your heart and into each person that comes here. And what does he give, right? They are pipelines of what? The ordinary means of grace. So we know what the pipelines are, preaching, the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. But what do we receive? Here's where it gets so good, okay? First and foremost, what we get is Christ himself. The means of grace are the means through which the Spirit delivers Christ and all of his benefits. So understand this. Now, this is not just a, just a, it has to be received in faith. That's, that's one, one thing we need to understand. It has to be received in faith. So what the scriptures say is that when the word of God is preached, when I say what scripture says, when I am faithful to scripture, that is a means of grace. If it's received by faith, Christ himself is meeting you through the preaching of the word. If you take the Lord's Supper and you understand that Christ comes to you and you receive that by faith, when you, you take the bread and, and the, the juice and you're saying this is, we talk about the body and the blood, this is Christ and, and I'm taking this and I'm receiving you, Lord Jesus, by faith, not in a saving way, but understand that Christ is actually coming to you. So instead of like the extraordinary mystic, you know, having dreams and all that stuff, you can come here week after week and meet with Jesus. And knowing that he himself has said, if you will receive and respond in faith in these means of grace, I will meet you there. That is a promise that is priceless that we would hear from him that he would promise to meet us 
So understand this, these means of grace, I, I understand it's a lot, it might, it might feel like you're getting unloaded on, but, but don't miss the forest for the trees. These are the pipelines that God has laid that says, if you will receive me by faith through these, I'll meet you there. Every week. And it's ordinary what would make you more excited to come to church than to know I'm going to preach, the, the pastor's going to preach, and everything that he says that is faithful to Scripture, the Spirit is going to use to bring Christ into, into my heart and, and, and grace into my life. And when I take the Lord's Supper, I, I get more of Jesus So Christ, by His Spirit, meets with you in the preaching. He communes with you through the Lord's Supper. Understand this, when we take the Lord's Supper, what happened at that first, last supper, right? Jesus was there at the table, right? So when we take the Lord's Supper and receive it in faith, He's here. By His Spirit, He is here. And so when we receive it by faith, we receive it. So not only do we receive Christ, but we receive grace. The ordinary means of grace are the pipeline that God uses to get grace from heaven and into your heart. So you come on a Sunday morning and you say, you don't know how bad of a week I had. I messed up so bad so many times. I cannot believe that I'm actually even here this morning because a real Christian would not come to church after having the week that I've had. But then boom, you come and you hear preaching and you hear Jesus Christ paid the price. He died for you. He saved you. Jesus paid it all. He did everything. And you said, praise God. Yes, Jesus, I received that. I, I understand that I, I'm assured you've poured this grace into my heart. And you say, how could that possibly be? And then we take the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you how it's possible. Because this is my body, which is given for you. And this is my blood of the new covenant that is given for you. And you get that grace pumped right into your heart. And you said, oh, my goodness, that's so good. I can't believe Jesus did it all. So... If we stop and think about how amazing that is, I think we would not hesitate to want to be a church that delights in and cherishes these ordinary means of grace. The idea that these are God's promised or ordained ways that week in and week out we can meet with Jesus in worship. Ordinary means of grace are how Christ comes, how all his benefits are applied to us in every worship service when we receive them by faith. But that's, that's not what we do every Sunday, is it? We, 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 I mean, we preach, but, but there are other parts. So biblical worship includes the means of grace, preaching, baptism, Lord's Supper. But there are three other components of simple biblical worship that I think we could add. So in total, there are five components to biblical worship. Number one, we said, was preaching the Word of God. Number two, the sacraments, the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. The third one is prayer. Look at Acts 2.42, right? How does it end? They devoted themselves to prayer. 
when the office of deacon is established, what do the apostles say? In Acts 6.4 it says, We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul tells Timothy to lead the church in prayer, saying, First of all, then I urge that petitions and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. We must be a praying church. There, there's, there's no life, there's no vitality if we're not a praying church. So we, we ought to pray on Sundays. Prayer is not just meant to be a transition. Prayer is not just to be, you know, we need everybody's eyes closed so that the praise team can get off without anybody seeing them. But, but we are to pray together as a body and we are to make prayer a regular and consistent part of our worship, of our church life, of our daily life. Sounds simple, right? We ought to pray during worship. But there's another component. The public reading of Scripture. So this is the fourth component of biblical worship. The public reading of Scripture. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, he says, Until I come... Devote yourself. There's that language again, right? That we see in Acts. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. So when we gather, we read Scripture together. We don't read Scripture to, to, to break up the songs. That's not the only reason we, we, we read Scripture, right? It's not just because it's a convenient way to get you guys to be quiet because you're talking so loud at the beginning of the service, it's because the Word of God tells us that we ought to be reading Scripture publicly, out loud, in front of each other. Sounds simple, right? Then there's the last component, singing. And if you want to put, to be specific, congregational singing. Because Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. There's the word. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We are to sing. Have you ever wondered why we sing in church? Or is it just something you grew up doing? You're like, oh, it's just what we do. We, we, we sing, you know. What's well, because Scripture tells us that's what we are to do. We, we, we sing. We have an entire book of the Bible that's full of songs. It's called Psalms. And so we are to sing songs that will lead to the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. And so, but, but we want to be specific. It's not just singing. It's called congregational singing. Congregational singing is a certain type of singing. It's a specific type, and it's the type that we strive for and ought to strive for here. Because I don't know if you picked up on it, but listen to Colossians 3.16 again, okay? Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Congregational singing is meant for this side of the room to admonish 
that side of the room and that side of the room to teach that side of the room and that back corner of the room to encourage the front and that back and, and, and every diagonal you want to draw you want to draw right we are to admonish and teach one another so understand this when you sing when we sing on Sundays your singing is not just vertical it's horizontal and I love singing in here. My goodness, I remember the first time we came and heard you guys sing in here, the acoustics of, of everybody's voices bouncing off the walls, knowing that, that the people that I'm listening to are people who are redeemed sinners, trusting in Christ, who are or pleading for, for God to, to, to work in their life and, and putting their hope in God. When, when I hear all of you singing, that is way much more a tremendous blessing than just hearing myself. And I would venture to guess it's way much more a blessing to you to hear other people than it is to hear me sing. That's not saying that I'm a bad singer, although you know we can talk about that later. The point is, is that there is a blessing that comes when this sanctuary fills with your voices. That blesses me. That encourages me. And so congregational singing is about you. It's about us. Yes, God is the object of our worship, but our singing is also a means of mutual encouragement. Because here's what happens when we're all singing. If, if we're picking songs that, that have biblical truth and you're all singing, you know what you're doing? You're proclaiming truth to your neighbor. The person behind you, in front of you, when we open our mouths to sing, we take on the role of teacher, of encourager. My words go to you, and your words come to me as a challenge, as a rebuke, as an edification, as comfort, as encouragement. Yes, even those people who sound like screeching monkeys, right? They are encouragements. Because you know what I found? Some of the people who are, if I can say this, okay. Some of the worst singers in the congregation. I'm not going to name names. Somebody got nervous. No. Some of the worst singers tonally, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Some people aren't gifted with, you know, hitting keys and notes and all that. But when they sing the loudest, you know what that tells me? It, it convicts me. Because you know what, you know, you, you see me up here, like I want to hit all the right notes. I want to, you know, but here's a person who's so concerned about singing to Jesus, they don't care how it sounds. They don't care if it's in tune. They don't care if it's on tempo. They don't give a flying rip because they're praising Jesus. And you know what? That encourages me. That teaches me. That makes me think, Jason, where's your heart? Right? What are you focused on? So, what you don't need to hear every Sunday during the music time really is me or Clint or, or the praise team. We are not the ones that you need to hear. Who you need to hear is each other. And, and can I just add this? It also means you need to be able to see each other. What does it say in a church sanctuary when all the lights are dark out there 
And all the lights are pointing your attention to the praise team on the stage. It's saying something. It's all saying something. When a, when a sanctuary is designed like that, what it's saying is what you ought to be focusing on, what you ought to be looking at, and what you ought to be listening to. Your focus should be up there. So, we're never going to darken the lights in here, just FYI. But congregational singing means that the music is not about a concert, it's not about a performance. We, the praise team is, we are facilitators, right? Someone has to lead, someone has to set the tempo and all those things, but, but we're merely facilitators. So all these components, right, these five components, the proclamation of Scripture, the sacraments, praying, reading Scripture, Singing, I didn't want to look because I was singing, right? These are what are to fill our time of worship. And so what does simple biblical worship look like? We get together in fellowship. We read the word publicly together. We sing together, hearing one another, being encouraged. We pray together. We hear the word of God preached and God meets us through the word where we are. He speaks to us. We hear from him. We have baptisms if they're needed. And, and that pours grace into their hearts. And then it pours grace into your heart because you remember your own baptism. And you remember how God led you to that point, and And you're strengthened and you're edified. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we receive grace and, and we commune with Jesus. And we get the grace we need to face another week. Seems pretty simple. And when it's done week in and week out, that is biblical worship which pleases the Lord. It looks so boring on the outside. It looks so ordinary. It looks so outdated. It looks traditional. It's not contemporary. Oh, but to those of us who know, we know that that, that a church that is committed to these components, done week in and week out, and we see God move and we see God work, we'll know the Word did it all. And you say, that all sounds good, Jason. And, and, I, and I, I tend to agree with you. I trust you. I, I hear what you're saying. But here's the thing. It, our commitment to this gets tested really quickly. When the church down the road seems to be booming... You know, they've got the rocking band. It's the talk of the town. You know, they do skits or they, they reenact scenes from movies. You know, they, they do their baptism, baptisms in the cool trough now. You know, everybody's doing them in the trough, right? Nobody wants to do the Jesus in the Jordan River anymore. Remember those? Like churches had the, the Jordan River painted in the baptistry. Remember that? Nobody wants to do that anymore. They have the nice t-shirts for baptism. You know, they look like they were designed by a graphic designer. Paid a lot of money for it. They have state-of-the-art equipment. The guitarists can shred. They even have a fog machine and lasers. You got people speaking in tongues, having visions, laughing fits, prophesying. The pastor dresses like he could work for TMZ. They're giving away, they're giving away new cars and iPads. They have a multi-million dollar youth facility. That's obviously where all the youth want to be. 
And then you get invited or someone else you know gets invited and, and you hear them, the member of that church, and they sound so excited and, and you start to think, man, I wish I could be, be that excited about my church. Well, if your church is grounded in ordinary means of grace, you can just look at all that and say, well, that's nice. But I know that when I go to church on Sunday, God's going to show up. And I know that. Because he's going to meet me in the way that he promised to meet me. You can meet with the Lord every single week because you worship in the way he has promised to meet you. Those conversations about other churches get even better though. Because my favorite is when people tell you they're leaving your church for that church. And they tell you that the reason is all those reasons and more. You might be saying, Jason, this sounds like a therapy session. It sounds a little personal. Yeah, because I've heard all of that. And it breaks my heart. But here's where we, we have to weigh what really matters. What do we do then? Will our commitment to simple biblical worship endure? It will when we understand the why. Why we do it this way. Simple biblical worship allows us to meet with Christ week in and week out. And it assures us that we receive him and his benefits by faith. So I'll just say this. That's something I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that assurance for any size church. If, you're gonna, if I'm going to be forced to choose that Poplar stays a church of 80 people for the next 80 years, but I know that week in and week out, I and you will meet the Lord Jesus when we come here. I wouldn't trade that for anything. For a church of 80, 100, 800, I don't care. Because I don't know about you, I need to meet with Jesus every week when we come here. Now, that's not to say that the Lord can't use that or that you can't have a large growing church with this approach. Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. is a prime example that it can and does work. But it goes against the grain of so much evangelical Christianity. It goes against so much of the culture that it's just, it's radical. It's radically simple. It also goes against the pragmatic spirit of many churches. The, pragma, the, the spirit of pragmatism says that the ends justify the means. If there's anything we can do, regardless of what it is, if it leads to our numbers increasing, then it must be a good thing. But a radically simple church upholds the supremacy of Scripture. And because of this commitment, a radically simple church is committed to simple biblical worship. That's just the first two characteristics. There's one more, very quickly. A radically simple church... And this one has two parts. The radically simple church labors in the Great Commission. Labors in the Great Commission. And maybe put like an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. And then leave some space. There's no escaping that the church has a mission. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gives that mission, right? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the grace that, that, and the growth that happens here Sunday after Sunday is meant to assure us of our salvation. We meet with the Lord 
He strengthens us, but then that is meant to propel us out to take that grace to others. What happens here Sunday after Sunday is meant to send us outwards with this good news that we've experienced, that we've met with Christ through the means of grace, through the preaching, we've celebrated, and we have this good news that a a dying world desperately needs to hear, right? We hear about Christ crucified for us and how we were sinners, but but Jesus took the punishment that we deserve when he died on a cross. That he died and the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he exhausted it. And then he was buried. And so was our sin. And that by faith in him, resting in him, we can be forgiven. We have that good news. We are absolutely supposed to take that out of the world. The church, we come here and we meet and we worship, but that's not where we stay. So we labor in the Great Commission. But here's the second half of that. A church, a radically simple church, labors in the Great Commission, dot, dot, dot. But it trusts the Lord for growth. You say, where do you get this from? Well, in Acts chapter 2. Notice it says that they were doing these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Sounds so simple, so ordinary, so plain. Skip down to verse 47, the end of verse 47, and what does it say? Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We can't emphasize this enough. Luke says... It was an everyday occurrence. Now, they're not having a tent revival. It was the church meeting week in and week out in simple biblical worship. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. The word did it all. And so notice that through a group of believers who were committed to the supremacy of the word of God, who gathered together who celebrated the Lord's Supper, who prayed, that is the group that the Lord added to their number. Through a simple biblical church, the Lord did amazing wonders. Why can't this be true of Poplar Spring? If he doesn't enact, can he not do it here? So how do, you, how do we put this all together into a, a vision for Poplar Spring? Well, I'm glad you asked. It really looks as simple as this. We come in week in and week out. You hear the word. The word is preached. We pray. We encourage one another through singing. We celebrate the sacraments. And week in and week out, we become the church that God adds to their number. That's it. Like I told you, nothing earth-shattering, groundbreaking. Just a simple, biblical, radically simple church. And you say, Jason, that sounds so internalized. That sounds like our focus is is too much on ourselves and not outwards. But, But what you don't understand is when we understand church this way, it's always pushing us one way or the other. 
You say, what do I mean by that? This, this is what I want you to say. This is how it functions as the hub of our church. We come together, we celebrate, we're, we're encouraged, right? And then we, that propels us out. If we want to start here, what we do today propels us out because of what we experience, right? So then we go out into the world and then we share the gospel with people. And you know what immediately we are trying to do? What? Hey, you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Guess what? You can meet with him every week. Why don't you come to me to church? Right? So, so if we start here inward, this, this idea, this simple biblical pattern sends us out in the world. If we start out there in your small group, in your workplace, wherever it is, increasingly people... Sometimes we think a small group is just inward to outward, Right? Like, like the way we, we form small groups and, and, and they function is we take people from the large gathering and then we filter them into the smaller things. But increasingly, we're dealing with people who didn't grow up in church, don't know why church is important. So then small groups become a way that you lead somebody to faith in Christ in your small group and then you start feeding them inward, right? And then they come, they get strengthened, they grow, they meet with Jesus every week and then they go out and tell people, Right? And then before you know it, this is the hub of the church, in and out, coming, simple worship, meeting with Jesus, receiving grace, going back out. And then it's like we said in Ephesians, like Paul says, the body builds itself up. So that's my vision for a radically simple church. I hope that you see how Poplar Spring is already well positioned. We do all these things, right? You can be proud of your church. You can be proud of what we do here. But hopefully next Sunday, maybe, or maybe even this Sunday, next Sunday you'll come with a renewed anticipation. If you want those resources, I'll be happy to send them to you. Two of the resources are journals. They're online. They're, they have short articles on, on what means of grace are, and they might help you understand. But I understand not everybody's a reader. So there are YouTube va- videos that I can send you as well uh, on this worksheet. If you want to watch YouTube videos that help you understand and flesh this out. But listen, once... Once you've tasted and you understand what happens week in and week out, you never go back. I'm just going to give a testimony. You never go back. You're never the same. Okay? So let me pray for us, and uh, then we have a couple of announcements. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, God, uh, for your word. And, and, and Lord, I know, I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot for, for some of us to take in and... Uh, but, but maybe just the seed being planted is enough that, that we'll begin to, to ask, why do we do what we do? And, and begin to see how it's simple, how it's radical. And Lord, how in reality, Poplar Spring is a, is a great church. Lord, help us to see and trust in the ways that you've given such that we can look back and and stand in awe and say the word did it all. That we would see you move, see you change lives, and, and see Poplar Spring built up into what you would have it to be. 
Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.